Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back, friends, Dan's. Many of you asked me last week what happened with the Atlantic City Pesach program. So I wanted to let you know what happened, just in case you were wondering. There was a Pesach program in Atlantic City, New Jersey this year, who unfortunately had to cancel the week before Pesach. Roughly 200 or so rooms were impacted, where they had to decide whether to attend another Pesach program or stay home. The aftermath of this is what people are talking about. The owner of the program has stated that he was defrauded by someone who claimed that he worked for the hotel where he sent payments to and is still trying to retrieve those payments through an FBI investigation. Some people believe he was defrauded and others have questions on whether or not he actually sent the money and what actually happened. Regardless, the number one most important item here is for the current impacted guests to get their money back and use that for hopefully another trip in the future. So that's the short version. The throwback episode for today is Mika Fashion on the Francisca Show. It's one of the original episodes from a few years back with the designer Miriam Grunhaus, founder of Mika Fashion. The link is in the show notes. Next, I am looking for a few volunteers to talk about the reasons for divorce for an episode I'm working on where I'll have several guests. Number one, they need to be fully divorced already, both have a get and a civil divorce. Number two, you need to be willing to talk about the nitty gritty. You can be anonymous. I can alter your voice. But those are the two conditions for you to be a good fit for that episode. Another comment or two, I'll add at the end, after you listen to this episode, this is a Jewish Coffee House podcast. I love hearing from you. Feel free to join the WhatsApp discussion group for more conversation and keep reaching out with all your wonderful feedback. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Francisco Show Fan Stands. Today with us, we have Rifki Itzkowitz, the creative director and founder of Impact Fashion and the host of the Be Impactful podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here and having this conversation. Today, we're here to talk about from fashion, industry insights. We want to hear everything about you and your opinions on the industry as an industry expert. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in this industry. Give us all the amazing stuff we need to know about you. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm very excited for this conversation because I, I like spilling a little bit of good tea sometimes. And there's always things that we can improve, especially in an industry like from fashion when everybody has opinions. So a little bit about me and how I got started. I have always been interested in fashion for literally as long as I can remember. And for me, it was something that I always kind of thought of something that I couldn't really be a part of because I did grow up dressing modestly. And when you look at mainstream fashion, that's not something that's really valued. So it was always something that I kind of observed from a distance. And then when I was 10, I started sewing. And the great thing about sewing is that you can make whatever you want. And that was when I really started. I mean, obviously, what's a 10-year-old making already? Some very flowery skirts, actually, that I made with my grandmother. But it, that was when I really started getting kind of open to the idea of design in the way that I could really make 
whatever I wanted. And that started changing a little bit of the way that I approached fashion. So it was sewing was always something that I came back to. I had a lot of different creative hobbies as a kid. I had a very intense cake decorating phase. I still have all the props from that, like all the piping tips and things like that. I had like I went I did knitting for a very short time. I did painting. I was drawing like I was always involved in just like making stuff with my hands. But sewing was always something that I came back to. And throughout high school, I actually started taking patterning classes at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology here in New York City. And they had these, they called them pre-college classes. They were actually meant to help you develop a portfolio so that you could eventually apply to the school, which I kind of knew in the back of my head that I would never do. It was not something that my parents approved of as like good from girl going to an art school, not so much. But I like learning the things was, you know, still something that they were okay with. So I would go to these classes that were on Sunday. And that was when I really learned how to make a pattern, how to like start from scratch and really design, construct and engineer a garment so that it really works and so that it really fits, so that it like comes together in the proper way, so that it's not just pretty. Because the truth is that just pretty is really not good enough. Pretty is nice. I'm all for pretty. I love pretty. But just pretty is It's just not going to make the cut. If it's pretty, but you don't feel great wearing it, then it's basically useless. So I, that was when I really like learned how to do this, this real construction of garments. And I kept taking those types of classes all through college. So FIT has these programs that are like, I think they're technically credited. They might be, they might not be. I'm not sure. But through, I was in Queens College, um, which is kind of local to where I am. And I'm a, Uh, I have a bachelor's in science and family and consumer sciences with a concentration in textiles and apparels. How's that for a degree? And I I already knew at that point that I was, you know, going to start a company. I started my company while I was in college and I just got a fashion degree. And like Queens College has a very small and at the time pretty terrible fashion department. I think they've since made some improvements. Don't go to Queens College for the fashion courses. That's not why you go there. And in hindsight, it was really dumb. I should have gotten a business degree, but that's a different story. And as part of the program that I was in, you could take classes in other schools also. And so I used that like they they gave like a certain amount of money that you could use to take classes in other places. So I used that money to take classes in FIT. And FIT had they were like non-student courses. Again, I think that they were like geared towards professional development. Like there were a lot of old ladies in my classes, actually. People who have been working in fashion actually for a long time, but who wanted to like were taking refresher courses or who were like always interested in things and stuff like that. And that's when I got interested in couture techniques. So couture is actually a controlled term in France. It's the same, like the same way that you can't just walk around calling yourself a doctor unless you're actually a doctor. You can't walk around in France calling something couture unless it's actually couture. And it has like a very specific list of techniques and materials and ways that something is made. So all of those types of techniques are actually in fashion schools. They're bundled into what's called a certificate. It's something that you can get as an addendum to the degree. And you can also get the certificate on its own. Now, full disclosure, I never actually finished the certificate because in order to get the certificate, you had to take three fashion art classes. And I cannot fully express how much I hate fashion art. It's so terrible. I really hate fashion sketches. It's just not a skill set. And I also, this is my own arrogance coming through a little bit. I think that fashion sketching is useless. Like, I just don't think that it's a great skill to really like, yeah, great. You can like, you can sketch something really nice, but like I can make it so that you can wear it. And I'd much more, I'm much more interested in making something that you can actually wear. So I never finished the certificate because I never did the fashion art classes, but I did all of the 
construction classes. So uh, I am a couture trained dressmaker, seamstress and pattern maker who really knows how to design, construct and engineer a garment so that it really properly fits a variety of body types. And that kind of technical basis is what Impact Fashion was founded on. Okay, and you started this when who else was around? How novel was this in the firm community? It was pretty novel around the time I started in 2016. I was 21 years old at the time and living at home. And if you're going to start a business, I think that there are two life stages that you should do it. Either exactly the time that I did it, when you have no expenses and if you lose everything, you're not going to be homeless because your mom's not kicking you out. And she still hasn't kicked me out. I run the business out of her house, even though I don't live in it anymore. Or I think that you should do it like when your kids are in school, like in your 40s, when you can like that, that in-between stage, I just don't think is the time to start it. So in 2016, let me think. It was around the time that a lot of other brands were starting out. A parallel, I think, had been around for maybe a year or two. I mean, we always had stores like Ruthie's, like Muncie right. and Brooklyn and Lakewood always had a shop where you get your pleated skirts and you get the long denim skirts, you know, way back when there was always that. But I don't remember there being designers behind that. Right. So the, the this whole concept of like the from designer is really within like the last five years. So when you think about companies like mine, like a parallel point, Maya's Place, Estes, Bliss, when you think about like all these types of just labels, those are really within the last like five years. And that I think came out of this frustration. I think that you and I are kind of in the same age bracket. And when we were growing up, it was all about the shells. Shell mm -hmm. station was where it was My at. My whole wedding, everyone was wearing shells at the wedding. Right. <laughs> I think in Israel, they still might do that. Yeah, I think in Israel they still do it. There's definitely some circles here where they, where they will still do it. Like, I actually remember the first time that I was at a wedding and someone was wearing a gown with a shell. My grandmother was horrified. She was like, what is that girl doing? And I was like, Bobby, she didn't have anything else to wear. What do you want from her? It's that same kind of, like, that same kind of attitude of, okay, nobody's making anything for us, so we're just going to have to make this work. And it was also that kind of era. We're talking about the late 90s, early 2000s, people. Layering was where it was at. So, you know, you put your cardigan on and your pleated skirt and you go live out your preppy gossip girl dreams. Like that was kind of accepted to do. And there was also really no, there were no companies that were really catering specifically to from women. It's not that there weren't any from women with companies. A lot of these brands that have been around for a very long time, I'm thinking about like Leia Israel, who was probably not even something that, that's probably not a name that people recognize because she doesn't design under her own name. But you know how there are brands that you only see in from stores where like I, I can't I don't even remember the names that are like in the labels. But there are these like random label names that when you go into a from store, you see them in every from store, but you never see them anywhere else. Those are being designed by people like Leia, who have been doing this literally for 30 years. Um, and they'll put out lines with like a bunch of different labels. And then the stores are probably getting like 50 percent of their stock from someone like her. But it just looks like a lot of different companies. And she actually did that on purpose because stores didn't want it to look like all their stuff was one company, like they were a company store for her, but she was one of the only people doing it. So at the time, I really can't think of anybody else who was like, who was doing it. Okay. But it was definitely starting to become more common. I think that Ellie Makir started a couple of years after me, maybe two, three years after me. There were definitely more people starting. And I think that that was also just coming up with like shells became less cool. People became kind of sick of them, honestly. They're a real big pain to like, 
hello, do you remember the stress of trying to find like the exact perfect green matching or whatever it was? Oh my dying the shells. Matching the shells, dying the shells was a whole industry. Yeah. And you also need to wear extra clothes. Right. Let's move on to discussing the industry from a critical point, if you're okay with that. I'm okay with it. Let's go. Okay. So what are the biggest pain points or criticism that From Fashion gets? And I'll just throw out a few, if I may. It's too expensive. Please. Okay. It's too the same. Some of it's not sneeze. Why are you calling it From Fashion? Those are just to name a few. Okay. I'm actually really glad that you brought those up because those are not any of the ones that I would have brought up. So I want to address yours first and then we'll take it from there. As fu- and, I'm, and I'll go in order of what you said. Too expensive is a perfectly valid complaint. You can mm-hmm. be not naked for less money. There is absolutely no, there's absolutely no, no arguing there. It's 100% true. Especially when you consider a brand like mine that is a high-end brand, there are from brands that are less expensive than mine. And I tell people all the time, you can be not naked for less money. But I think that you also need to consider what you're buying because not all clothes are made the same. We have all had the experience of buying something from Forever 21, washing it once and taking out a poor, sad little piece of fabric from the washing machine and going, oh, my Lord, where did my skirt go? It's gone. The stitches are all coming out. The fabric is now see-through. It's pilling all over the place. It's it's just not there anymore. And yeah, you bought that skirt for less money, but how how much are you actually wearing it? And I think that the problem is that we get caught up in this cycle of thinking that we need to have new clothes every single season. And I know that this sounds crazy coming from someone who sells new clothes every single season. And I have people who buy from me every single season and I love them very much. And I have people who will also buy from me once a year. And I'm not going to lie. They they hold a little bit of a special or place in my heart. Not to say that we're comparing people. But I think uh-huh. that if we are intentional about our wardrobes and if we are realistic about what it is that we really like to wear, not what is trendy, not what every single influencer is wearing for these five minutes right now. If we are really intentional about the types of clothes that work for our lives and the types of clothes that we actually get use out of, then it is worth spending money on your clothes. It is worth investing in the piece that you will wear for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Because that's a piece of clothing that you will always get use out of, that will always make you feel great, that you will put on and not feel like you're wearing a shmata, that will always be worth it to you in that kind of, in, in that kind of sense. So that's, that's one thing to consider. The other thing to consider is that even if you're talking about a from brand that is being worn by every single from person that you know, and that it seems like every single from person in the entire universe is wearing that brand, you are still talking about a small business. You are still talking about someone who in the realm of clothing manufacturing is not able to take advantage of what we call economies of scale. Think about how much clothing H&M is making versus how much clothing your average from brand is making. It's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. And the way that clothing manufacturing is, it costs a certain amount and it costs what it costs. And at a certain point, you do have a floor on what a small business can charge for its products because there's only so much that it's making. There's also only so many from people in the world. So even if every single from person knows about a brand, that's only so many people. You know, we like to talk about what a fraction of a fraction of the population Jews are, and then the fraction of that that are from Jews, and then the fraction of that that are from Jews that dress sneeze. It's a, it's a thing, you know, and it's not, 
And it's not something that companies can really take advantage of. I guarantee you that nobody goes into this business to get rich. There are easier and faster and way less stressful ways to make a whole lot more money than being in from fashion. The clothing costs what it costs because that's what it has to cost. And if high quality, and I'm not saying that every from brand is high quality, but I'm not going to name names. But if decent quality, or let's just say you know the companies that are going to last and the ones that aren't. But if quality is important to you, if supporting a firm company is important to you, if if having something that on the most part, and I know that this is one of your complaints and we'll get to it, but if having something that is more easily made SNES or something that is already SNES is important to you, if having something that everybody else has is important to you, then this is what it costs. So that that's on price. Anything you wanna you wanna bounce back on on that before no, I go on bounce to bounce back? One? Having something that everyone else has, it's interesting because everyone wants to look different, but every but you're saying people want to fit in and have that you know a parallel skirt or whatever you yeah. know the Mia Mod skirt. One more thing is, do you, do you wear something for ten years or five years? What's your oldest piece of garment My that you actually wear, not that you store. that I actually wear? Okay, yeah. So there's there's a caveat there because my size has changed. Um, so it's very normal for our sizes to change over the course of our lives. And my size has changed. So I will say, I'm trying to think, I think nearly positive that the oldest piece that I have in my closet is a, it's, I bought it in high school. It might have even been eighth grade. So we're talking. But are you wearing it? Are you, you're I hoping am. to one day wear it? Oh, you no, I am. I, I, I am wearing it. Okay. I actually wore it a lot maternity. So I, I've given it a rest since because anything that I wore maternity, I never want to look at ever again. That's I don't know why it's well, I wore it a lot maternity. That's the truth. So I needed to give it a rest. And I gave birth in winter of 2022. So I have worn it recently. I haven't worn it. I haven't worn it since I've given birth. I will give you that. Um, but I did wear it maternity. It's an it's a bright neon orange silk tank top that I wore with a shell. So maternity, I actually wore it with one of those crop shells because the armhole wasn't, you know, the armhole was cut well that I could do that. And it's it's a tank top that had this like very cool fluid draping on it. So the so it actually worked really well maternity because I could wear it with like a maternity skirt and then this like whole big draping thing. But it's high low. So it didn't feel like very like overly tenty because maternity, I really don't like that either. But yeah, that I think is probably the oldest piece. I do have pieces that I currently wear or that I would wear if they still fit that are, yeah, about eight years old, somewhere in that range. Okay. Um, so you walk, yeah. you walk your talk. Oh, 100%. I, and I really think that this idea of trendiness, I mean, it's fully based on consumerism. That's number one. It's fully, it's fully just to get us to buy stuff, which is okay. People have to sell stuff. Trust me. I understand that more than everything else. But I think that even if as, as companies, if we focused more, on not just disposable clothes, but on clothes that actually make people feel great. And I act, and I, I mean, I have the sales numbers to prove this. If people feel great in your clothes, they'll buy more clothes. And the way to make people feel great in your clothes is not to focus on what everyone else is doing or what everyone else is wearing and to focus instead on what makes people feel great in their clothes, which is actually learning how to, you know, flatter their bodies and understand their shape and, and really get that, you know, really, really understand what works for them and that what is hot right now for these five minutes might not be the answer. And that's okay. And you can find a way to work with a trend, let's say, by incorporating a bag or a shoe or maybe mixing two pieces that you wouldn't have previously thought to mix and taking it from there. 
Talk to me about the next two things we had after Prime. Okay, so you said two the same, which kind of ties into what we're saying about trendiness. I agree. And I really hate this. And it's actually one of the most common pieces of feedback that I get about my line, both in the positive and the negative, is your stuff doesn't look like everybody else's. And then it either is followed by, I don't know what to do with it, or I love that it's so different. <laughs> and I think that I'm going to try to figure out of a, a kind way to say this, but I don't think that there's just any say way it for this. Unkind. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say, like, I don't think that there's any way for this to come out and not sound terrible. So whatever. It's just you and me. It's fine. It's a safe space here. A lot of from companies copy and they copy designer brands. Okay. That was going to be something I was going to bring up. So yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. Listen. And, and the truth is, is that I have a lot of complicated feelings around copying because there is nothing new under the sun. Any any kind of dress design or top design that you think that you are making is not new. There's only so many ways to make something that has a hole for your head, a hole for your hands and a hole for your legs and have it be a dress and have it be different. Like there's only so many ways that you can do that. Fashion has been around literally since Adam and Haba picked up a fig leaf and they've all been done before. So I think that anyone who gets like up in a huff about, oh, she took my design. No, she didn't. Calm down. You did not invent a tiered ruffled skirt. I was actually, this is a funny sidebar. Somebody actually once really politely asked me if I copied someone. There's a, it was actually, it was so sweet, but it was like such a fundamentally rude question that I just loved the like mental gymnastics that were happening in the way that this question was typed out. Uh, there's a piece in my line that is one of my best selling pieces. It's called the little ruffle dress. It is a black polka dot mesh dress with, it's actually really cute and super comfy. It has a gathered waistline and ruffles around the waist. And then it has a little poof sleeve and ruffles around the sleeve. And then the skirt is also gathered and tiered. And all of those gathers and tiering only happen in the mesh. And then the lining underneath is, is more of a straight skirt. So you get this like very cool floaty effect from the mesh, but it's not overwhelming because you still have the straight skirt in the lining underneath. This is a really great design and I love it very much. I am also not the first person to invent a tiered mesh skirt. I am not the first person to invent a, a ruffled sleeve. I am not the first person to invent a ruffled cuff. I am not the first person to invent a gathered waist. I'm probably not even the first person to put them all together in that way. And I'm certainly not the first person to make a black dress. So the fact that there happened to have been the same season, another from company that had a similar-ish design. It was also a mesh dress. It also had a tiered skirt. That was basically where the similarities ended. One person asked me like, oh, I I'm just really curious. Did you copy this other from company? And I said, no, I didn't. First of all, you can't copy if it's out the same season because of the way the production schedules work. And I explained to her, I was like, neither of us invented this concept. But a lot of from designers, because we are small companies, we can produce on a shorter schedule than a mainstream designer. And I'll use myself as an example, because I produce in the US, I can produce on an even shorter time frame, which is why I actually do pre-orders on my line. So I'll release a piece, I'll introduce people basically to it, and then I'll allow them to pre-order it so that they can get the size and the color that they want without worrying about like that launch day stress 
that Lord knows none of us need in our lives. But to eliminate that, I do pre-orders so that you can order the size and color that you need. And then I take those numbers and then I give my numbers to the factory and then it ships about five weeks later. Companies that are producing overseas have a little bit of a longer window. But because of that, big designer brands usually design about a year out. So six months after they've come out with their collections, most from brands are creating their collections. They're all looking at the same designer collections and they are going to, and most of them are going to pull details from designer collections. Most from brands, especially ones that operate at a lower-ish price point, are very focused on trendy. They do want people buying entire new wardrobes every single season. It's one way to run a business model. It's not how I run, but it's a perfectly valid way to run. So if your focus is on being trendy and is on clothes that spoil, and you want to see what is of the moment right now, and all the people around you have the same intention, then yeah, it's all going to look the same. And I think that we can also acknowledge that there is definitely a value to conformity in the from world. I mean, let's not pretend that the from world is all gung-ho for creative expression. Come on, you know? Like, we know this already, right? Like, we know that from spaces definitely like a little bit of cookie cutter. When someone who's a little bit different comes along, we might celebrate them, but we don't really know what to do with her. You know what I mean? We don't really know how to approach her. We don't, you know what, we don't really know how to talk to someone who does not check off every single box that a from, let's say specifically woman, should check. So is it really any, like, surprise that a lot of from fashion looks the same? You know, we all kind of, uh, deep down, we all kind of want to conform. Okay, let's move on to the next one. I have so many more <laughs> questions. I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think I want to just end off on one on one point here. I think that, you know, like I mentioned, one of the things that one of the criticisms and compliments, you know, depending on who it's coming from that I get about the line is that it doesn't look like everybody else. And I know that the reason why that is, is because I don't look at designer trends and because I'm focusing on things that are actually flattering on on a wide range of bodies. But I think that what is important for people to recognize is that if there is something that is trendy that you want to wear and it's important to you to, you know, to, to, to have that conformity aspect, if it's important to you to fit in, there's almost, almost every single trend can be translated in a way that it works for your body as is. And if that's important to you to, to feel like you're fitting in with everybody else, then take the time to learn what works for your body and then give yourself a little bit of leeway to take those trends and translate them to however it is that you like to dress. And I think that that will go a very long way in helping you come to terms with whatever it is that your body is doing. And this is also very helpful for teenage daughters. Just side note. Love it. Next, we have Tanua. Hi. Okay. Here's what I'll say about this. Tsnias is not subjective. Is not objective. Is something Tsnias is a subjective term. Now, I will 100% agree with you that specifically if we're talking about the social media space, when you think about a typical from influencer, I would, and I'm not thinking of anybody specific. I'm thinking about like an avatar. If I had to like make a, if I had, if someone told me draw a from influencer, right? I would probably draw that person wearing a short sleeve, wearing a skirt that doesn't cover her knees and probably wearing a V-neck top. That's probably what I would draw. So I think that we can acknowledge that especially in the social media space, what is considered acceptable to wear over the last, I would say, probably five years 
has changed drastically. So that's number one. That being said, is this sneeze is not a question that I can answer for anyone because I don't know what your definition of sneeze is. Will it cover my knees is also not a question that I can answer for you because I don't know what your definition of cover is. Does cover your knees mean hitting your knee? Does it mean mid-knee? Does it mean just below your knee? Does it mean that it has to be four inches below your knee? Does it mean that it has to hit your ankle? When every when everybody says that phrase, covering my knee, that means something different to everybody. So I will never answer the question, you know, I'm five six. will this cover my knee? I don't know because I don't know what your definition of cover is. I can tell you this dress measures 43 inches from shoulder to to hem. Get out a measuring tape. See where that see where that lands on you. See if you're happy with that. I have extra fabric available for purchase if you need it. You know, all of those things are those are the ways that I approach those questions. But yeah, I also don't think that a from company owes anybody sneeze. I really don't. A business exists to make money. A business exists to sell its products. If people want to buy short skirts, it is a business's job's job to make short skirts. And what that says about from society, you want to talk about your Rida Sadoro, so you want to talk about, you know, the how terrible all of the women of today are, go cry to somebody else. I'm not interested in that. I also don't think that anybody else's sneeze is anybody else's responsibility. I think that if somebody wants to wear a short skirt, they're going to wear the short skirt whether they're buying it from a from company or not. And somebody else making the choice to wear that short skirt is not my responsibility. That's not something that any company is responsible for. I know plenty of companies that make a very short length of their skirt, which they designed for petite girls, for people who are under five feet tall, who needed a skirt that hit their knee and and worked for them. And you know what happened? People who are 5'8", bought that skirt and wore it as a, let's call it a long mini skirt or something to that effect. That's not the company's responsibility. That's not the company's responsibility. Why do you think the avatar from Influencer is not adhering to your classic sneeze definitions in real life? I really don't know. I really, really don't know. It's something that I've thought about quite a bit recently because I'm very interested in what's become acceptable Wearing a V-neck is acceptable now. When we were growing up, it was not. Like it, like any kind of shaping at the neckline that was not like your classic crew neck, like what I'm wearing now, was not considered acceptable. I'm glad I'm not wearing a V-neck today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Lord help me if I ever become anybody's sneeze police. But now it's become quite acceptable to have a V-neck. Like my collarbone is about, uh, let's say, yeah, it's about here now. It's become quite acceptable to wear like a V-neck down to here even, which again, I have zero judgments on anybody else's sneeze. I could care less how much you cover don't like it's it's truly none of my business. I don't know why the from I don't I really don't know why there's a part of me that kind of wonders if the from influencer is trying to copy the like typical not Jewish influencer and that person barely has any clothes on. So like whatever, I'll wear a V-neck. But I, I don't know. I think it also I think that part of it has to do with the fact that because of social media, we are exposed to people who practice Judaism differently than we do. And what I mean by that is, like, when I was little, we only, like, I only knew the other Jews in my neighborhood. Like, I grew up in Kew Garden Hills. People in Kew Garden Hills are relatively chilled. 
And there is a, definitely a variance, you know, among religious levels. But for the most part, most people here cover their hair. Most women here are not going to wear pants. Most women here are going to, you know, cover their elbows and collarbones and knees. That's that's just the way that my neighborhood is. And those were the only type of people that I was surrounded by. So it was kind of, I mean, whatever. I, I never, I, I will be honest and say that, like, dressing seriously have never really been a challenge for me. I don't know. Everybody has their thing. This is not one of mine. But I was in this bubble of, okay, so like this is how people in Kew Garden Hills dress and this is how I'm going to dress. And much in the same way that like if you're in Brooklyn, everybody dresses kind of a certain way with like the same matching shoes with a matching bag and lipstick and and everything like that. And if you're in the five towns, there's there's a look to that also. And if you're out of town, there's a look to that as well. And there's definitely variance among communities in observance. That's just, you know, that's diaspora for you. That's just how Jews are. And I think that because through social media, we are exposed to people who practice differently than we are, we are exposed to, for lack of a better word, other options. You can, you know, you, we're talking about like women who are not dressing seriously, right? Plenty of these women are really commoded, commoted, committed, you know, members of their community, have beautiful families, keep every single mitzvah, maybe except for this one, or like they are, they, they are good people. They are good from women. They just happen to not dress that way. You know, they just happen to dress a little bit differently. And that's really the way that I see it. You just happen to dress a little bit differently. And it truly doesn't bother me. But I think that if you take someone who always look like was always only exposed to the types of Jews that were around her and was kind of given this message of, well, you know, only bad people show their knees. Or, you know, if you uncover your elbow, that's terrible if you're not dressing. I mean, to not dress sneeously, right? Like the, all the goonies are going to come out. And then all of a sudden you start seeing really wonderful, lovely people who don't dress sneeously <laughs> and also, by the way, have not gotten struck down by lightning. Then I think that it is no, it's natural for someone to think maybe maybe i want to dress that way maybe i want to reevaluate what dressing sneeze really means to me maybe i want to focus more on what on what sneeze means in behavior as opposed to in dress maybe the dress aspect is not as important to me these are all the types of questions that women are going to start asking themselves when they're exposed to something different and that's naturally going to translate to what's available in the firm market because again from companies exist to sell clothes demand and supply economics basically. exactly that's exactly what it is so it's not surprising to me that you know with with the social media mixing of all the different types of jews you're gonna get overflow kind of in the same way that i eat moroccan fish now and really like it i am the most ashkenaz that you could possibly be i am the most vanilla like me and my husbands are so white we are see-through it's like we are both like just so super ashkenaz and we love moroccan fish you know why because everybody started making Moroccan fish on Instagram. And I was like, I think that we would kind of like that. Next thing I know, I own sumac. And I don't even know what that really is. But all of a sudden, I'm like texting my friends, where do I get some sumac? And here we are. It's the same kind of thing, just in the way that we dress. I know you have a big focus on including all sizes or up to 24, I think. And you even have this demo. You have graphics on your website to learn what body type you are and you have give four options and you help people find what dress options are more flattering for their body shape. So can you give us a little tutorial here for anyone listening? I am so glad that you asked this 
I am so glad that you asked this. Okay, here we go. The biggest lie that we have been told is that if we were smaller, our clothes would fit better. This is not true. And I will tell you why. The difference is because size and shape are not the same thing. I can have a circle with a four inch diameter and a square with a four inch side. And if I try to take the circle and cover the square, it won't work. The corners of the square will still poke out. And that is because size and shape are still different things. And even if I took that square and I shrunk it, if that square cut out all sugar and all carbs and all dairy and took Ozempic and went on keto and stopped eating for three years and managed to make itself very, very small, when that square goes into a dressing room next and if it still puts on a circle, it's not going to work because a circle is not a square and size and shape are not the same things. So too with our bodies. Our bodies come in different shapes. This, the way that we carry weight in our body is almost entirely due to genetics and bone structure. There is basically nothing that you can do to change your body shape short of major surgery. There are a couple of life stages where generally fat distribution might change, mainly in menopause. More, some women will find that they will tend to carry more weight around their midsection in menopause, but this is not true across the board. For the most part, short of major surgery, there's nothing that you can do to change your body shape. If you know your body shape, and if you know how to dress for your body shape, then the same clothes that would look good on you if you wear a size 2 will look good on you if you wear a size 24. So let's say you wear a size 24. Instead of thinking, oh dear lord, I just need to lose weight. Instead, let's focus on what can I do to dress for my body right now? What can I do to make myself feel great in clothes right now? And then if I lose weight, I lose weight and we'll deal with that then. But for right now, where I am, how do I get dressed? And that is going to have everything to do with shape. You following? Yes, I'm following. Okay. So there are four main body types. You'll sometimes hear these referred to as fruits. I like to go the shape route because people are not fruits. And also it's confusing. (laughs) So the four main body types are rectangle, triangle, inverted triangle, and hourglass. And the way that these shapes are made is by thinking about the three main measurements in a women's in a woman's body, and that is bust, waist, and hip. So we want to think about how these three main measurements relate to each other. So a rectangle, this is also sometimes referred to as an athletic shape or a boyish shape, is someone who is relatively even throughout. They have a relatively same measurement throughout their bust, waist, and hip. This tends to be someone who wears a smaller cup size, who does not have a lot of curves, and they tend to be a little bit more petite, actually. Then you've got your triangle figures. This is where I fall in. These are women who carry their weight mostly in their hips. So their bust is their smallest measurement. I am a proud B cup. Then they've got a little bit of a bigger waist, and then they've got a little bit of a bigger hip. Those are your triangles. Think about how that relates to each other. You've got your inverted triangles, which is exactly the opposite. They carry most of their weight in their bust and arms. Then they have a smaller waist and an even smaller hip. And your hourglasses have a relatively even measurement between their bust and their hip and then a smaller waist. Would you say models fall into that category? No, models tend to be rectangle shapes. Models tend to be very flat chested with absolutely no curves. Most of the models that you're seeing on designer runways, by the way, are actually prepubescent. They're usually about 15 to 16 years old. This may have changed a little bit. I think that industry standards may have changed in the post Me Too era. 
So I, they might be, they might have to be since uh, Julia Hart. Exactly. <laughs> okay. But they, um, in the post Me Too era, when there have been a lot of, I know that Vogue magazine, for example, will not shoot a model who is under eighteen unless they are the subject of the story, and even then, there has to be a guardian on set and things like that because there were stories of uh, photographers you know, taking advantage. But for the most part, when you're looking at runway models, they are prepubescent and six feet tall. These are not your average humans. And you should not judge yourself based on them because uh, there's nothing you can do to look like them. They're just made that way. So when it comes to dressing, the key word is balance. You want to think about where you hold volume in your body, for lack of a better word, and counter that with the volume in your clothes. So I'll use myself as an example. I am a triangle body shape. I carry almost all of my weight exclusively in my belly and hips. I look really great in straight skirts. I look fantastic in straight skirts. And I look even better in a straight skirt with a blousey top. Because think about what that does to your body. It takes the place where I have my most volume, right? My hips. It keeps it kind of where it is, right? Like not adding any more volume there. And it balances it out with some volume on top. And by volume, I, I also mean interest or detail or just like anything special in a garment. It balances it out with that on top. And it creates a situation where you're not just looking and being like, oh, wow, she has a big belly. But instead, it's an entirely cohesive look that takes into account her entire body. Also using myself as an example, uh, like I said, I gave birth in winter of 2022. In the time since, I've gone up about one dress size since I gave birth. And the clothes that looked good on me then still look good on me now, even, you know, a dress size bigger from when I gave birth and two dress sizes bigger from before I got pregnant. I've had to size up so that they fit around me. But it's the same types of clothes. It's the same. I mean, honestly, it's the same actual pieces of clothing. I have the benefit of owning a clothing line so I can literally just take the same thing and get it in the next size. But those same types of things will look good on me if I ever become smaller and will continue to look good on me if I ever become any bigger. And this is like the key to having a long-lasting wardrobe because if the pieces that you have look great with your body shape, which again is probably not going to change, then you can wear them for the next 10 years because it's not something that is just going to look good now because right now it's on trend so like everyone kind of gets a pass but in five years from now when everybody forgot about like prairie dresses with tiny floral prints then we can all still look back and be like oh it's not what was she thinking it's oh there's something nice there timeless and classic exactly That's what, what your clients come to you for mm -hmm. let's talk about online versus in store for you personally and for other firm brands from what you know and how American Dream All plays into everything. I am so glad that you asked me this question. So the balance between online and in-store shopping has been a really interesting sort of evolution for me because I really never thought that I would sell anything in person. Like I, it was really not my intention. My intention was to build an exclusively on online brand, which is why I spent a lot of time making sure that it was the best online shopping experience that you could possibly have. And not to toot my own horn, I really think that I've accomplished that. I think that as far, definitely in the firm world and even competitive by mainstream standards, I have a 30-day return policy. It's free shipping and free returns. I have really clear sizing guides. It's really, really easy to order from impactfashionnyc.com. That being said, there is nothing like trying on something, which is why 
I created all of those policies because I really feel like you need to try something on before you buy it. And it is definitely a very different experience to order, you know, two, three things, try them on at home and send back what doesn't work than it is to get into a dressing room with 10 things, try them on and see, you know, and make your decisions from there. So in, I think, when was it at this point? It was before Rosh Hashanah. So we're coming up on on a year now. When enough people ask, are you going to do a pop-up shop? Enough times, enough times in a row, uh, you'd be pretty dumb not to listen. And I'd like to think that I'm not dumb. So before Rosh Hashanah, I did a series of pop-ups and they were beyond my wildest dreams. Aside from the fact that they were just successful, it was a whole other experience getting to talk with people, getting to meet with people, getting to really see their reactions when they have the clothes on for the first time. All of that was a very special experience. And so after that happened, I was like, oh, maybe there is something to this in-person shopping thing that we've been doing for decades and decades and you should have thought of this whole time. <laughs> but, but aside from that, I, I had kind of, I had never really, like I said, I really thought that I would always be an online only store. And I, and I kind of thought like, oh, maybe this is something that I could think of. Knowing full well that I am nowhere in a stage in my life where I am opening a retail store. I can tell you right now, that's not happening. My life is hectic enough as it is. I'm not opening a retail store. It's important to me to keep the business manageable with where my life is at. So I just thought, okay, you know, like this is something that, like I said, start a business when you're single and living at home or when you're in your 40s. And I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing in my 40s. And that was like, and that was really when I thought that something like this would happen. And then the wonderful people at American Dream reached out to me and they explained to me this concept that, that they were developing, which was a first of its kind, modest department store, which, first of all, I can't believe no one has thought about this before, but like, whatever. It is, it's called The Address. It's inside American Dream Mall. It's been in development for a very long time and it is freaking awesome. It's really cool. And it's really cool because when you walk in there, you see Dozens and dozens of from brands. I think it's maybe 40 brands now at this point, mostly women's clothing, also some kids brands, also hosiery and accessories and jewelry and makeup. And like, think of everything that you would find in a department Shells store. and swim Shells gear. Shells and swim gear. Like there's so many things I'm forgetting. There's gowns, there's consignment, there's, there's so many things. And seeing like all of this from fashion all together in one place gives... Like, honestly, it gives from fashion the legitimacy that it always had. But seeing it together like this is just like it's beyond. It's it's really, really cool. And the the I went down. I really felt something else. I and know it, I was smiling at the people there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a whole day ordeal. <laughs> I needed yeah. to coordinate with my husband. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whole thing. It was emotional, right? It, it, it was it was a from store where other from women and everyone in the store was a from woman was happy to smile at you because this felt novel right. and cool. And it felt, there was someone who told me that it felt like someone was finally paying attention to what from women really need. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Like there was really an emotional aspect to that I was not expecting. I really was not expecting. I also, after I wrote my post, I got a lot of hate on like, Sheen's great. Who lives next to, you know, this tri-state area? Anyway, they already have all these from yes, stores. Yes, because we all know there's no <laughs> Jews in New York and New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and if you go to one of the from stores, it's not there. There was something different about the experience. Yeah, I think that there's definitely also 
because so the way that the address is set up is that each of the brands have their own sections, very similar to like how Nordstrom is set up. Each of the brands have their own sections and we're each putting out our our own styles there. And it's kind of like a mini boutique for each of the brands. And what I think is very different and what you really get across from is that different from a wholesale relationship where if I were to wholesale my clothing to a store, which I don't I don't do anymore. The only place that you can find my designs in person is at the address. I'm selling it to them. And then whatever happens with it afterwards is whatever happens with it afterwards. Like they, it's in their store and they're doing whatever they want. At the address, each brand has their own section and it really feels like a little experience for that brand. So for example, in my section, there's a cute little table with a QR code and you can scan to learn all about body shape because that's really important about the way that I approach fashion. All of my racks are gold because my brand colors are black and gold. And, you know, I wanted gold racks, not silver racks. Things like that, I think, are really different than than shopping in a, in a regular store. And then for me on a personal level, like I said, I kind of recognize that it was important to have these in-person opportunities for people to shop and that I was not at a point in my life where I could run a retail store. And with the address, I'm not running it. They are. So you have to pay to have that boutique. Each of the each of the each of the brands are renting the space. And the returns in terms of how expensive that is logistically. So let's say Walmart, Nordstrom, they have great return policies because they can handle Amazon. They could handle all those returns and all those losses. How does your company or from fashion, how do they handle? <laughs> One way to handle is by having a horrible return policy or only store credit, which we've seen in many stores. Um, I'm going to clarify this because we just finished talking about the address. This is my return policy on my site. Uh, the address's return policy, I believe, is 14 days with receipt or something like that. The return policy there is different. But when you're shopping on impactfashionnyc.com, it's 30 days free shipping in both direction. And I agree with you. The standard for returns in from fashion is awful. Generally, you're going to find somewhere between seven and 10 days, usually seven. I've seen as low as four. You're always going to have to pay return shipping. There's There might be some kind of restocking fee, which I have seen been, which I have like seen as high as like $15. And there are legitimate reasons for having those expenses because processing returns itself is expensive from a labor perspective. It takes about 10 minutes to unpack each return, inspect it, make sure that it is proper, you know, that it hasn't been worn, that it's proper to be returned and then repack it so that it can be shipped off to the next customer. And there is a cost there as well. And then there's obviously the shipping cost in both directions and things like that. I can't speak for any other company. What I can say is that, like I mentioned, Impact Fashion is a luxury product and with that comes a luxury experience. So this is a cost that I do factor into my pricing and it is One of the reasons why shopping with me is so different, why you get such great service and things like that. You really do get what you pay for, not just on a quality level. And yes, my clothes are super high quality, but you get it from a service level as well. The way that I handle it is by really being a bit of a data nerd. I love data because guesses are scary. Just trying to figure out what to do is scary. But if you have enough information on how people use your clothes, how people use your site, how people use your return policy, then you can modulate from there. So yeah, I did start out guessing and I started out with that return policy because I thought it was the right thing to do. And then I monitored it very closely. And I found a couple of things. First thing is, in my six years in business, 
six years, more than that. I don't know. Somebody do this year minus 2016 for me. I started the website like really in like 2018, 2019, whatever, in my bunch of years of bu- in business. It has only ever happened once that somebody has returned something that has been clearly used. And I shipped it right back to them. They didn't dispute the charge. We all went on our merry ways. This like idea of people just sending back things that are used, in my experience, doesn't really happen. Now, I do know for a fact that it definitely happens more commonly at other companies. I think that price point has something to do with it. I think that if you sell a cheaper product, you are opening yourself up to more scams and to more dishonesty in that way. I don't know why that is. Just anecdotally, that appears to be true. The other thing is that about, I think last time I checked, it was something like 85 or maybe 90% of the returns that I process are processed within the first 10 days. Meaning most of the returns that I get back are coming back within that pretty limited window that other companies set. And then the other little bit come back, you know, sometime the 30 days afterwards, which I mean, honestly, it's a very good argument for having a 10 day return policy because most people are able to get their act together within 10 days. But the truth is, is that what it does is that it it gets most things back to you within that kind of ideal 10 day return policy without the stress. Meaning most people, I know that this is me. If I have something that I want to return, I want it out of my house, get off my kitchen table, get into the post office, leave. And most people have some sort of similar feeling around it. So Setting that 30-day return policy allows people to get to the post office when they can. And I know that for a majority of people, they're going to get back. They're going to get it back to me within a reasonable time frame. And I consider 30 days to be because they want their money back. Yeah, they want their money back. A lot of times people are exchanging it for another size. And I fully understand not wanting to have two big chargers on your credit card at once. So if you want to exchange it, then you got to send it back and I have to process it. And then you have to, you know, order another one. So that's definitely a part of it. That to me is just another reason to give people the leeway so that they can so that they can get what they need and that's that's been a really how i approach how i approach returns i think that if you are set up for it then it's quite easy to accept them the other thing also is that i am operating out of a bedroom in my parents house that is what my studio is i have a very limited amount of storage space that's why i do pre-orders so that people can order what they want and i don't have to store a pre-order because it gets shipped out right away so For a day, it takes over the entire studio and then I get it out and I fold up the packing table and out we go. So because of that, there are always going to be people who miss the pre-order. There are always going to be people who miss their size. So when somebody is returning something, most times it's going to get bought again pretty quickly because I have a wait list and I have people that are on that wait list and who are waiting for it. So it, I can't tell you how many times it's happened that I will process, I usually do the returns in the morning first thing. So I'll process the return in the morning and then when I pack orders at the end of the day, like literally the same piece of clothing that just got returned that morning is on its way out to something to someone new. So because I don't keep a huge amount of inventory for logistical reasons, it's actually really great for me to to accept the return because I want my clothes to be worn. You know, I want my clothes to be worn by someone who's really going to appreciate it. And that's not going to be the person who wanted to return it. What would you say to somebody who says, I have six daughters. I love your quality and designs. You know, $300 or $250 per dress is is insane. You'd say go shop at Jean? No. I would <laughs> go no. do another round. No, I would say wait until they're finished growing. I think that I think that when they're still growing and they are and they really do need, you know, entire new wardrobes, new season, then 
don't shop at Shein. If you're going to shop fast fashion, like go to Target at least. Or like really don't shop at Shein. You're, if, if something is that cheap, there is somebody, most likely a child, who is being seriously taken advantage of. And I think I'm going to say... Target, you don't have that? I think that you have that less because I think that with a U.S.-based company like Target, there is accountability involved. So there are, we have labor laws here. And even if something is not made here, there is accountability for things that are sold here. I'm not going to tell you that the people sewing Target's clothes are working under the best conditions. Certainly, they're not working to a U.S. standard of conditions, but they are most likely not children. And if that's going to, if that's the base level that you have to set for yourself, then fine. I think personally, I think the child labor is where everyone should draw their line, but I'm not here to make, I'm not here to make moral judgments for every, for anybody else. I will say that Shein is, Shein is, I will never buy from Shein. It was actually really funny. I got baby presents from Shein and they have like weird sizing, like the, it's like, I, I don't know what it is, but like they just have like a random number inside. And I actually had to like put it on a group chat and be like, does anyone know what this size mean? What is this? And everyone was like, oh, that's Shein. That's, that's what this random yellow tag means. And I was like, great. And, and I haven't ever used those close but i think that especially when we're considering fast fashion there are levels and i don't i really i i don't think that there is maybe i'm wrong and maybe this is too presumptuous of me to say but you can afford h&m you know h&m forever 21 like there are definitely cheap ways to get clothes that are not cheap but i would say wait until they stop growing and then really think with them about what are the pieces in their wardrobe that they need. So let's say we're talking about an 18-year-old. That's, I'm going to assume for a second. You're talking about a high school senior, okay? So right now, she probably needs two good Shabbos outfits, make them a top and a skirt so that she can mix and match and make different, you know, make different combinations. She needs, I would say, like three everyday outfits, let's say for Sundays. I'm assuming that she's in a uniform at school. If she's not, then let's give her maybe four or five school outfits and let's say like i said like three everyday outfits three winter three summer and then one like nice simcha piece if she's post-seminary or dating then she'll need probably like two or three good dating outfits and i would say maybe two or three wedding outfits for friends weddings and that's your wardrobe i really think that we have lost the art of focusing on quality over quantity and I think that if we approach our wardrobes, first of all, nobody's paying attention to what you wear as much as you are. I have a photographic memory for my own clothes. I can remember, I can tell you what I wore to basically every significant life event since I'm in high school. I can't tell you what anybody else wore. I don't care. Nobody who does is worth your time. They're a psychopath and you should ignore them. But like any, any, like the, this art of rewearing clothes is something that I think is really lost. And if you have two pieces that you love, that look amazing on you, that you switch off and wear to every friend's wedding, I promise you, you will have, first of all, a way easier time getting dressed and so much more fun (laughs) than everybody else because you won't be stressing so much about what you're wearing. And then when you think about that, right? So let's say like that, that capsule wardrobe that I just described. Let's say now, you know, that that's when you're 19, 20. Now let's take you to, let's say 25. Let's assume for a second that you're still single. At that point in those five years, maybe every season, or every other season, you've added one piece, let's say. Let's talk specifically about your what you wear to friends' weddings pieces. So if by the time you're 25, every year you've added one piece, now you have five new pieces, a total of seven, that's a great, you know, that's a great 
kind of pool to to work with. And remember, all of these pieces work with your body shape. You really love, you feel fantastic in. You don't mind wearing that first piece that you bought when you were 19 because it still feels as great on you now that you're 25. And it's, and you're able to, that's how you build a wardrobe. You can't build a wardrobe by buying something new every single season. That's just not doable. Let's say you're 25 and married. Then honestly, if you haven't had kids, then chances are the same kind of formula would apply. And if you had and your body has changed, then you might need to, you know, alter from there. Great tips, great advice. Any closing remarks? Yeah. I mean, this has just been really fun. I think that the thing that I want most people to, you know, kind of get out of this is that there are a lot of ways to look good that don't involve buying an entirely new wardrobe every season. And if you want to learn more about how I approach fashion and how I approach my designs on my podcast, Be Impactful, I have uh, solo episodes that I put out every time I release a new design. And each of those solo episodes takes you through what I was thinking, you know, what the design process was, what the thought process was behind each of those pieces. And it's a really, it's also a great, you know, kind of look into uh, the fashion industry as a whole behind the scenes. That's really cool. Thanks so much for coming on, Rifki. I am so excited we had this conversation. Thank you, Rifki. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for listening until the end. I wanted to add two comments in. In the episode, Rifki mentioned how my three critiques weren't the ones that she was getting from people. So I asked her after the episode, what were your critiques? She did say the amount of sizes they offer. Sneas brands don't offer enough sizes in the plus size area. So that's something Impact Fashion does, and I wanted to plug this in. Number two, regarding Shein and child labor, there is another side to the story. In many of these countries where children are working, so there's a difference between child labor and child slave labor, and it might not feel like a difference. However, there's an example with Tom's shoes. When Tom's started donating a pair of shoes for every pair that was purchased in the Western world, that kind of model really shot the economy of the countries they were donating to because it eliminated the need for the locals to produce and sell their products and they had to figure out how to support themselves. So yes, these children are working, but that's also how they're feeding themselves. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad, but taking business away from them because we think we're doing something good for them may also be a questionable choice. I'm not telling you what my opinion is. I just wanted to present some more information to you and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Next, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to this podcast or follow this show on whichever app you're using to listen to it. Please share this show with your friends and anyone else you think might like these episodes. I am looking for clients. So if you need help with your social media, with your podcasts, with your visibility, with your video, I'm here to help whether it's in a consulting fashion or a done for you capacity. Please don't hesitate to reach out or to refer me to other people who may need my services. This is how you support the show. And I'm looking forward to next week. We have several excellent episodes lining up. Keep submitting your ideas and suggestions for future episodes and have a wonderful week.